I mean, this is not a one-time thing, particularly in the minds of Black students in the Black community at UNC. This is like a symptom of just a much bigger problem. This is Under the Dome. On today's episode, we're taking a closer look at UNC Chapel Hill's failure to grant a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist tenure and their move to change that after facing immense pressure both in North Carolina and across the country. For the News and Observer, I'm Lucille Sherman, your host for this episode of Under the Dome. It's Friday, July 9th. Joining me today is the NNO's higher education reporter, Kate Murphy, to talk about the UNC news that's been front and center over the last few weeks, the tenure of Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Nicole Hannah-Jones. All right, Kate, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Lucille. (laughs) So in the last week, a lot of things have happened. One of those things was last week after weeks of controversy over the UNC Board of Trustees' failure to grant Nicole Hannah-Jones tenure for a position teaching journalism at UNC, they reversed course and... I don't know if you would call it reverse course, but sort of reversed course and voted to give her tenure. Then on Tuesday, so less than a week later, Nicole Hannah-Jones said she wouldn't be taking the gig. I want to talk more about the day the trustees granted Hannah-Jones tenure, but first, what else happened this week for those of us who have had a hard time keeping up? She went on CBS This Morning Tuesday, right? Yes, and that's where she announced that she was not coming to UNC Chapel Hill to be the night chair for race and investigative journalism, and instead will be going to Howard University, an historically black university in Washington, D.C., for that same role, essentially, as their inaugural night chair. So it's the first position of its kind at Howard, right? Correct. Okay. And then on that same day, what I thought was most interesting is she released a statement kind of explaining her decision to not take the job. What were the highlights of that statement in your mind or like what stuck out to you about it? Yeah. So first it was eight pages long. It was a very, you know, well thought out and like clearly this was her because she hadn't given any on-the-record interviews throughout this entire process, I felt like this statement was really her moment to get all of her words out there. Um, Some of the biggest highlights were, um, one, that she pretty much called out the university um, for not being transparent throughout this entire process, um, asked them to explain why it took so long for the vote on tenure to happen. She also made some pretty specific demands about the university making its faculty and student body more diverse. And then even went as far as to the board of trustees to basically say that how these boards are appointed should be changed um, because they've become so political, um, which clearly she felt, and it's been made clear, has been part of this entire controversy. Hmm, That's really interesting. And part of my interest as a state politics reporter, obviously, in this is like, the politics of that. And because those board members are appointed by the legislature, yeah, it inherently becomes political. Then also that day, 
students organized and held a press conference, right? Yeah. So it was actually the following day. Okay. Um, they kind of, a lot of the student leaders who had been really vocal throughout this, um, were pretty quiet the day of, I think they kind of wanted to take some time and collect their thoughts. And the next day held a press conference, um, the black student movement, the Carolina black caucus, which is mostly faculty and staff, um, based. And then, um, a graduate, black graduate student and professional um, association, they held a press conference that pretty much, one, congratulated Nicole Hannah-Jones on her decision while they were obviously sad to see that she wouldn't be teaching at UNC. Um, they really, I think, were proud that she had the courage to say no. Um, and then they also listed out uh, prioritized demands that really focus on the safety of black students as well as equity in the university. Um, And it was a list of eight demands that they put together uh, to then send to university leaders that they feel like can all be implemented this fall. Interesting. And then you talked to Nicole Hannah-Jones this week, which is in my mind, another highlight of the week. What was that conversation like or what did you learn? Yeah, so we talked uh, the same day that she made that announcement on CBS, and she really, um, you know, told me. I, I think the biggest takeaway from that conversation was that for her, there were three critical moments where she knew that she wasn't coming to UNC, um, and that was, you know, she gained a lot of clarity through all of this. And while she said it was a very, very difficult decision, um, there were kind of three pieces that made clear to her, this is not a place where I want to be. Yeah. I'm interested in hearing more about that in a little bit. I will pick your brain on that shortly. And then the last thing that you've reminded me of is that Nicole Hannah-Jones threatened to sue the university weeks ago. And even though they did vote to grant her tenure, that lawsuit is still on the table, right? Yeah. So I asked her specifically about that um, in our interview. You know, basically, where does that stand? Is that still a possibility? And she said it's very much still on the table. Uh, her and her legal team are kind of working through what that might look like um, and what the best step forward is with that. But I mean, at the end of the day, she said the discrimination occurred. Uh, back, you know, months ago when she wasn't given the offer of tenure like every other previous night chair at UNC has gotten, all of those night chairs are white. And so, you know, just because the board had this last minute vote to kind of remedy the situation doesn't mean that the discrimination didn't occur. Totally. That makes sense. Now I want to take a step back and go back to last Wednesday, June 30th, when the board of trustees decided to call that meeting where I don't think they said it was going to be about her tenure, but it was expected largely that it was going to be a vote on her tenure, right? Yes. Okay. And who called that meeting? How did that work? So for weeks, the, um, the decision has really been in the board's hands of they've had the opportunity to call a meeting and vote on this since Um, her tenure package is resubmitted, which happened in May. And so they have not done that until uh, the student body president, Lamar Richards, um, basically forced a special meeting. He, as a trustee, um, 
basically sent a letter uh, to another to the chairman and the secretary of the board and calling the special meeting for for her to for her tenure appointment. And then enough trustees also sent letters following his lead that then forced this special meeting to occur where they would vote. Oh, okay. So the student body president is technically a member of the board of trustees, correct? So he's the 13th member. Um, He's obviously much younger than all of these other people. And I think a lot of people really recognized his key role in all of this, Um, you know, as an incoming junior, um, he had the courage to call this vote when none of the other trustees would step into that role. That's super interesting. Okay. And then, so the vote was on June 30th. Why not? Why didn't anyone call it sooner? That's kind of still unclear. I mean, they really had the opportunity to do it at any moment, um, which I think is sort of Lamar just like demanded that. And obviously this had been a national issue. Um, It it definitely took some courage for him to really stand up. And he's been vocal throughout this entire process. And he just started as a student body president in May. That was his first board meeting. Um, So he's really kind of taken the reins and run with it. Um, And it's really, the trustees haven't said why you know, that didn't happen, but they also needed that vote to occur before she was set to start her job. So the meeting that was called actually happened the day before what would have been her first day at UNC. Hmm. Um, And I mean, certainly at the previous trustees meetings, like where this issue could have been brought up, um, it was basically stalled and delayed Uh, back in January. Trustee Chuck Duckett had questions. Um, and he is a head of the committee that sort of brings these tenure issues to the full board. So he was kind of like a gatekeeper in that sense. Um, and he had questions about her teaching experience and some other things that he also, and the university hasn't been super clear on. Um, but her teaching experience was definitely one of his personal questions. Um, how much that actually played into, why this was never voted on is kind of also still up in the air and people have different feelings about whether or not that was really the reason behind the delay. <clears throat> I'll say here that it would be helpful if UNC would fulfill our public records requests so that we could find out that timeline. Um, I second that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And then the other thing that I think is interesting, <clears throat> I might be wrong about this, but wasn't there Basically, a new board started on July 1st, so the day after this meeting took place. Is that right? Yes. So um, we're kind of in that transition period where six new trustees were coming on, and technically June 30th was the last day um, for trustee Chuck Duckett, as well as the chair, Richard Stevens, um, and a few others. And so this was also technically the last day that this board could vote on this issue because there was like a changing of the guard happening literally the next day. And so the next board meeting will be a completely new set of trustees. Um, how many trustees are on the board again in total? 13. Okay. Including the student body president and the other 12 are uh, appointed to 
a number of terms um, by either the board of UNC system, board of governors, or the state legislature. Okay, got it. And then hearing about sort of how this meeting went down was really interesting. So it took place in where in Chapel Hill? So it's at the Carolina Inn, which is like definitely a staple of this town. Um, you know, it's a very beautiful, ornate, um, you know, it was it took place in a ballroom and it's this beautiful, historic um, hotel that, you know, is host families when they come for graduation. And like, it's where, you know, you take people to lunch that when they're coming to um, interview and things like that. Like, it's very much a, a like, sort of like romantic, you know, beautiful historic inn. Um, and so that's where the meeting took place. Um, and people knew that this vote was happening. So students showed up to protest the board of trustees kind of, right? Yeah. So the meeting had obviously, you know, been made public. So it had been reported on that this was happening on this day at this time. Um, and almost a hundred students, faculty, community members came um, to protest the meeting and basically call out the trustees for their lack of decisions. Um, and you know, why hadn't this been granted to her and to also, I think, hold them accountable in this vote. Like we're here, we see you show us what you're going to do. Um, Mm. and now the actual meeting was supposed to be in closed session, um, which is, you know, typical and standard protocol for personnel decisions like tenure. Hmm. Um, That was something that I think reporters knew, officials knew, students largely were unaware of that. Because if you're not covering this stuff day to day, if you're not going to trustees meetings all the time, it's not common knowledge. And so these students also thought that they could be in this public meeting for the extent of it um, and see how the discussion would go and how the vote would go. Um, that was not what happened though. (laughs) So, so at the beginning of the meeting, they first of all made the protesters stay outside for a long time and they could have been in the meeting for much earlier than they had let them in and they, um, limited it to 75 people. Um, so they sort of filed in, you know, they're chanting, they're calling out at boards of, at board members. They all have signs, you know, in support of, of Nicole. And so the meeting starts and basically it almost immediately goes into closed session and they kind of do a roll call vote to say, this is what we're doing. Um, and so at that point on the, from the media, we're like gathering our things. Okay. This is where we head out. And the students refuse to leave. Um, and so, you know, they continue to yell and kind of stand their ground. Um, and after several minutes, the uh, campus police officers come and start, you know, corralling them out of the room. And most of the crowd, you know, files out. Um, but a few students really stood their ground um, and, you know, were demanding that these trustees have this meeting publicly. Like they really didn't understand from a moral, ethical, and also like logistical process perspective, why they were being kicked out of that meeting Hmm. and why the trustees wouldn't have this conversation in public in front of the students. Um, 
So that's kind of when things got really intense. Uh, a few officers, you know, physically shoved these students out of the room. There were screaming, like it was just a very tense moment that, you know, felt violent as someone who was there. It was like, I, I can imagine those students were very scared in that moment and in their passion and also being physically removed by police officers in this like very public meeting, like meeting trustees, like we're in a ballroom, like it was not, it was such an interesting like juxtaposition to from like that emotional moment and very physical moment to kind of the setting of also these like, you know, suit and tie buttoned up um, trustees also just sitting there and watching this happen. And no one is really stepping in to explain why this is happening or why they're being kicked out, hmm. um, which I think would have also mitigated a lot of the like conflict, I guess. Um, like if someone would have said, hey, these meetings are usually closed door. We totally get it. It, it feels like this meeting should be open per the law, but in this situation, it's not. Right, because of this policy, because it's a personnel issue. And actually, later on, when the students were outside, still like kind of yelling through the door, um, actually, Lamar Richards, the student body president, called one of the student leaders and explained that to her. And at that moment, it seemed to be a lot more calm. And like, so that just to me shows like, if some if some university official had calmly explained this to the protesters, th- that whole conflict could have been avoided mm-hmm. because then once they had that information, they understood why this happened the way that it did. Um, but what's interesting about that incident is one of the officers who was like the the main kind of, I guess, characters in all of this um, was actually or is the acting police chief. For the UNC Chapel Hill? Police, yes. Okay. Um, So like for the campus police department. Um, And just so happens on the same day that, you know, Nicole Hannah-Jones makes this announcement, the university hasn't said anything about it in response. And that afternoon... They send out a press release that says that the police chief has resigned and this um, uh, other officer has been the acting police chief who happens to be the officer that was physically removing students from the meeting. He was the one we could see in videos from media and just on Twitter of, of this happening, right? Yeah, and they specifically were calling him out and one of the... Um, student activists um, actually said that he punched her in the face during this altercation. And so that has been another kind of fire that's been lit under like with these student activists because they can't understand how the university basically has the audacity to name this man the acting chief. Granted, he's been the acting chief for a while, which poses a whole load of other questions, but relative to this kind of incident, like how they could, this man who treated these students this way, they think it's basically appalling that he is now in a leadership position following this when, 
university were officials were well aware of his role in that incident because a lot of them were in that room and mm. saw that happen. Hmm. That's really interesting. So I feel like that moment of the vote was really interesting because it defined a lot of where things went from there with mm-hmm. Nicole Hannah-Jones announcing that she wouldn't be taking the job anyway. And it also just showed, you know, a lot of small things that really are the frustrations of the students and, you know, even black faculty members realized. Um, when you think back on that, is there anything else that sticks out to you or that you think people should know kind of about that day? Um, well, I think one other big thing is that it was not a unanimous vote for her tenure. So the vote was nine to four. Um, so four trustees voted against her tenure package. Um, those four people have not explained why they did not say anything at the meeting. Um, and I reached out to each one of them and have not heard a response. Um, three of those four are returning to the board. Mm -hmm. Um, so one, uh, his term was up. And so the other three are still acting board members. Um, Hmm. and so I just think it's, you know, that's also just still another question, um, that, you know, what was behind their vote? No. Um, Hmm. yeah. So yeah. Interesting. I'm interested to see where, things go from here. I I don't know how you feel about this, but after a month, more than a month of this being the top issue at UNC, how does the school and how do school officials move on from this, I guess? Yeah. I mean, what's become really clear and, or, or just is a fact about this whole issue is that this is so reflective of so many other issues that, students and faculty and public have brought um, up to the university. I mean, this is not a one-time thing. Uh, This is is particularly in the minds of Black students in the Black community at UNC. This is like a symptom of just a much bigger problem. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, a lot of people weren't even necessarily surprised by all of this because like to them and what's clear is like there are these issues that continue to happen as um that are often feel political racially charged um at unc i mean this is not a new thing for this university to be going through um Hmm. and so i mean i think the biggest thing that university leaders can do if they want to move on with this. I mean, the student activists have given them a playbook. Like they have very actionable steps that they can take to help mitigate all of this conflict and, um, you know, the students and the faculty being disappointed in or, you know, how, how things have been playing out and how the university reacts or responds or decisions that it makes. They feel like they're not being listened to. And, I do think they've provided a lot of very real solutions about how they can, how the university can make campus a safer and more welcoming place for people of color. Mm. And that is obviously at the heart of this issue. And 
you know, we'll just have to wait and see um, what university officials decide to do next and kind of which pressures they're going to lean into. So I know you have a story um, publishing today on the three moments that sort of helped um, Nicole Hannah-Jones decide that she wasn't going to be coming to UNC. Just as our last sort of send-off, can you tell me like what those three moments were? Sure. So the first um, was, you know, when, um, when this all kind of blew up, uh, Nicole said that she did has not really heard from university leadership. And so during, um, but she also gave them an opportunity to remedy the situation. And she set a deadline for uh, this 10-year vote to occur back in June. And that deadline came and went without any word from the university. And... So that was kind of like, for her, a moment where they just sat on it, essentially. And so I think that was one moment. The second was um, with all of the reporting that came out about uh, Walter Hussman Jr., who is actually, the, the journalism school is named after him. Um, he was a huge donor to the universe, to the journalism school itself, gave a $25 million donation um, that hasn't been completely fulfilled yet, but the school has his name on it and he, it became, or it was, I guess, exposed, um, through reporting that he was a very vocal critic of her work. And he reached out to multiple university officials, including the Dean, a trustee, the chancellor, um, the top fundraiser for the university basically expressing his concerns about Nicole Hannah-Jones being hired and her work on the 1619 Project, um, which is the the work that she won the Pulitzer Prize for that explores the legacy of slavery in our country. And so he was very critical of that and said he had concerns. And granted, he said that he didn't try to influence any hiring decisions and he doesn't think that he really played a role on this, but he also stands by his concerns of her work and that being part of the journalism school. Um, so she basically said once she learned a lot more about his actual influence and his what she said was, you know, him lobbying against her being hired, she basically said she could not keep her dignity if she worked for a school with his name on it. Mm. And so I think that was the second really big moment. Um, and then the third, which was kind of like the final straw, was that trustees meeting. Um, not only one, that a student had to call it for, again, a group of well-seasoned you know, trustees um, that he called it. And then to see, you know, that split vote as well as how those students were treated, um, that was something that really hurt her. And she actually flew or drove, I'm not sure how she got here, but <laughs> came down to North Carolina um, and met with those students personally to tell them that she was not coming and to thank them for the support, um, which I think was a really 
special thing that she recognized them and wanted to tell them before everybody else so that they wouldn't just find out, you know, through the national news. Um, she said, you know, I just didn't want them to feel betrayed by me um, because of all of their support. And so those were kind of like the three big moments, you know, for her that really solidified the decision for her not to come. And I also think, you know, she just talked about how she deserves to be in a place that supports her. And financially, um, you know, she's going to Howard with a lot of money behind her to do a lot of really impactful work. Um, and so I think she's also just excited to be in a place like that um, mm -hmm. and where she can have the most impact. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, Kate, thanks so much for your consistent reporting on this topic. Um, it's been a lot to watch you do it, but it's been great. Um, thanks for taking the time to talk with me today. And if you want to read more of Kate's stories, head to newsobserver.com. Thanks, Kate. Thanks for having me. For more from our politics team, subscribe to the News and Observer at newsobserver.com slash subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Under the Dome and NC Insider, and sign up for her weekly political newsletter at newsobserver.com slash newsletters. Thanks for listening. <laughs>